0: Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is why menopause in the workplace matters. Our guest today is Loretta Dignam. She is the CEO and founder of the Menopause Hub, Ireland's first dedicated menopause clinic, offering a variety of services, including specialist menopause doctors, psychologists, physiotherapists, and acupuncturists. Loretta set up the menopause hub to smash the taboo that surrounds menopause. She wants to meet the unmet needs of women who are approaching or going through menopause, who want to optimize their health and vitality and to get back to living the life they love. Women are needlessly suffering in silence and they no longer have to. Loretta, very welcome to the Workplace
1: podcast. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me. My pleasure.
0: It's great to have you because I'm very interested about this topic. It's particular of interest to me. We were talking before the podcast started where my curiosity came from. And I suppose it came from coaching conversations. I'm an advocate for he for she campaign. As you were saying, that taboo needs to be smashed. I don't think it's a topic openly spoken about. And this is what the Workplace Podcast is all about. It's about shining a light on topics that we normally don't talk about now i i have a limited uh knowledge and experience of this area and i'm sure at least 50 percent of our listeners have and where my limited experience comes from was a witness of my own mother go through menopause in the early 90s and i was getting sent to the chemist with a note and i never looked inside that package that i probably knew <laughs> contained royal jelly or whatever the, the big thing was in the in the early 90s and even discussing amongst friends or peers or being on flights with, with uh, I suppose, female mentors of mine. I was kind of curious, are you okay? What's going on? So, so that for me is, was a bit, have some enlightenment. And what I'd like to do is give you the opportunity to enlighten us, why does menopause matter in the workplace?
1: Well, thank you very much, William, for um, broaching this conversation. Very brave, and um, very honest, and um, hopefully your listeners will um, benefit too. Just to say that 50% of the population will go through menopause. So not everyone will be pregnant, but everyone will go through menopause. Mm. So it impacts 50% and probably has a knock-on impact on the other 50% at some point in our lives. And by 2030, there will be one point one billion women globally in menopause uh, with 47 million coming through annually. And um, the, in the Western world, for sure, anyway, the um, 45 plus age group is actually the fastest growing cohort. The females is the fastest growing cohort. And therefore, we need to um, be giving support to our women. And I suppose one of the things in Ireland, if you take the numbers, it's 570,000 roughly are in this age group. About 350,000 of those are in paid employment. So it's a sizable cohort. And the other thing to say is that you said, oh, you know, 50% don't know much about menopause. Well, guess what? The other 50%, the women don't know much either. And, and I'm not being um, being facetious here. I did research last year and 80% of women are unprepared for menopause. So I did this under uh, among about 1,250 Irish women, So, or women in Ireland, I should say. Um, and 50, so, so 80% are unprepared for menopause. And 66% know little or nothing about menopause. And I can concur with that because um, I've worked in the corporate sector for many, many years, worked for some major, multinationals, fantastic businesses internationally and so on. Um, I would consider myself to be reasonably well-educated, reasonably intelligent. And I have to tell you, I had no idea. A month before my 50th birthday, I had my last period, although I didn't know it was my last period until 12 months later, And the second thing that happened within a few weeks was that I started to get hot flushes. So um, the only two things I knew about menopause were no periods and hot flushes. So then, uh aha, Detective Loretta Dignan knew she was menopausal. Um, And what I can say, though, is that um, to be honest with you, I was unprepared. I actually thought it happened to women who are much older than me. So that took me by surprise. And um, so I was unprepared. And in terms of new little or nothing, I mean, those two facts are very little or nothing, to be quite honest, because not, um, not every woman gets hot flushes and um, perimenopause, which is the phase leading up to menopause, is the, period, is the time when other symptoms can start to happen. And because I was I'd never heard the word perimenopause and um, I missed out on all the signals that were that I was going into menopause in my 40s. And I had a myriad of different things that were kind of going wrong. And I went off and got those checked out by, you know, like a, a MRI scan of my brain uh, because I had such bad headaches. I went and had um, to the eye and ear three times to the rainy department with dry eye. I used to feel dizzy. I used to feel exhausted. Um, I had UTIs. I mean, I could keep going on with the list of things. But the reality of it is, is that I was unaware and unprepared. So that all passed me by. And um, by the time I started with the hot flushes and the no periods, I was then I was then menopausal. And um, then the next three years, I kind of battled along with my symptoms. Now, I felt compelled to do something about this. And yet I've met women who have suffered much worse than I did. Hmm. So um, anyway, with, with all my experience, I just couldn't believe I was so blindsided. Um, And I'd worked on the board of the Abbey Theatre, I was on the board of the Abbey Theatre for six years and after about six weeks on the board I ended up chairing their gender equality committee because the 2016 programme, which was the centenary programme, had one uh, play in it by a woman um, and that written by a woman and that was touring schools. So there was a big um, backlash about that and quite rightly so. So I ended up um, with a team and we implemented policy change at the Abbey. So we went to introduce a gender equality policy and we set targets and measured and published published the results in our annual review. And um, then we measured the results year on year. And there was a knock on effect into the theatre community. So that gave me a sense of the power of change, I suppose, and the power of policy development. And so when I was going through my um, period of menopause, um, it wasn't until I saw treatment and just started to feel so much better. that I kind of thought, wow, I want to wave a magic wand for the women in Ireland so that nobody has to go through what I did. But I can shortcut this journey for them. So why does menopause in the workplace matter? It matters because it's such a large cohort of the population who will experience this. A large cohort are in the workplace. And if we care about talent retention and attraction, if we care about performance of women, if we care about health and safety of our employees, then we will look to support them through the various different stages of life. So I've been quoted as saying that um, menopause is like mental health was maybe about 10 years ago. And that was taboo and not spoken about. And now lots of organisations have um, policies, they have programmes in place and so on. Um, And I think the same should happen for menopause
0: so i I have tons of questions here because i I feel the exact same why is women's health not treated the same way as mental health with all the Eap supports with all the different workshops that are going on for mental health resilience you name it um so'm I'm, I'm curious about that so I want to pull back a little bit because I have tons of questions to ask you if i if I'm honest I'm 44 so I'm sure, from my research that I've been doing, forty-two years onwards is where that peri-menopause can happen. So you were talking about you didn't see the the signals there. You were blindsided. You were talking about MRI, dizzy spells, UTIs, the whole uh, gamut of of different symptoms and stuff that you didn't go into. And I'm curious, then, you know, if I have uh, someone my age, it, what are the things that we we should be looking over?
1: Well, um, what's, how I liken menopause is like puberty in reverse. Yeah. So what I mean by that is that when a girl goes into, into puberty, her, hormone, her body is flooded with primarily estrogen, but not only estrogen. And estrogen is um, a hormone that actually either uh, touches every cell in the body or has conversation with every cell in the body. And it's responsible for all those changes. So menopause is seeing the exact opposite in terms of the decline of hormones, primarily oestrogen, but not only oestrogen, which leads to lots of different symptoms. So if you can imagine, it's like the oil in the engine of a car. And I think it's a brilliant analogy because it's a lubricant and all of that. And that's what oestrogen does. It keeps the body um, lubricated from the inside out. And what's actually happening is if you can imagine the oil in your engine is in sort of, you know, is going lower and lower and lower and you're not, you know, replacing it and um, the car can start to stutter and shudder and things start going wrong and all of a sudden, eventually it'll stop and come to a halt. So it's really kind of like that and it's that essential. But as I said, you know, we prepare our children for puberty. We educate ourselves, we educate them, the school curriculum covers it and no parent in the right mind would not be prepared for puberty we give our children who go through puberty a lot of latitude and um, for those moods, for those gruntings, for those, you know, sleeping late, eating loads of food, girl, Well, my daughter crying, some anxiety, all different symptoms that affect them, their body shape is changing. And I can remember saying on occasions, where's my baby gone? It's a bit like that for um, for women in the sense that, you know, their old self is kind of gone while all these changes are happening. So. And this can start happening from the early 40s. And so the average age of perimenopause is 45 and the average age of menopause is 51. And the average length of menopause between peri and post is actually 7.4 years. So it can go on for quite some time. So we have on our website, a symptom checker, which actually has up to about 40 different symptoms. And they're divided into the ones that are called um, the sort of emotional, psychological, mental side. Then there's the physiological side, the physical side, and then there's the genital urinary. So I'll just explain a little bit about that. So the things you could be looking out for are things like um, uh, memory loss, mood swings, anxiety, depression, panic attacks. And um, you can start to feel flat in your mood um, lack of confidence, that kind of thing. And um, you can have brain fog. So there's a lot of things that can impact the woman in the workplace. On the physical side, there's things like um, uh Insomnia is huge. I couldn't get over that. Um, either not being able to get to sleep, getting to sleep and waking up before the morning or having fits of broken sleep throughout the night. Then there's the hot sweats and, and the hot flushes, the night sweats. But you don't have to have um, those things. And maybe in your 40s you don't experience the, the, the hot flushes. Then you can have things like um, digestive issues. You can have, um, you know, your hair starts to thin or you, you lose your hair. Um, uh, headaches, migraines, um, feeling kind of bloated, irregular periods, there's a big long list of things, Um, and um, dizziness, fatigue, etc. So there's a whole load of those physical sort of symptoms. And then there's the urinary, which can result in things like incontinence, UTI, so that comes from bladder issues, urinary tract infection. Then there's also um, sort of painful sex, vaginal dryness and vaginal discharge. And they can make life difficult as well. So women can be experiencing some of these, all of these, if you're really unlucky, or some combination. And also they can come and go. So as the hormones are fluctuating in your 40s and so on, they can come and go. And I can remember when I started the hot flushes in particular, because I'd have like 20 to 30 a day and I could be up making a presentation and all of a sudden you get this surge of heat. And honestly, you'd kind of want to rip your clothes off. And I know, (laughs) not a great image, but you really would. And I could even feel the hair, the the sort of the the moisture on the end of my hair follicles. And of course, I'd be thrown off track I'd be embarrassed standing up in front of, you know, board members, senior employers, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, you can put off your stride, but you have to kind of get on with it. Or I felt I had to get on with it. And the thing that often affects them in the workplace as well, in particular, is this kind of brain fog, this lack of being able to concentrate attention to detail um, and so on. And then layer on that any anxiety you might have, layer on top of that lack of sleep, and you can understand, if you think about the oil in the engine analogy, how things start to become more difficult. And women in this age group are often in what we call the sandwich generation. So they may have children or teenagers. They may have aging parents. They're working outside the home. They're running a home, et cetera, et cetera. And they were probably able to cope very well in their 30s with it all. And then in the 40s, some of these things become more difficult to cope with. And this is where the women say to us on a regular basis, I think I'm going that because they've got anxiety for the first time that they don't know where it's come from or anxiety can be triggered Or they go to the GP and they say, my mood is kind of flat. I'm not quite depressed, but my mood is low. Um, or um, as I said, this brain fog can affect you in the workplace. You can, you know, lose your memory in the middle of a sentence and so on and so on. The sort of, you know, in the, if you feel it as if you have, you feel off, you feel different. You feel something's not right. You don't know quite what it is. Having Get a copy of our symptom checker. I can send it to you. And, and start to monitor and keep an eye on your symptoms. And you'll see, you know, for some women, their periods change. Um, they become less frequent. They become more frequent. They become lighter. They become heavier. And they can be signals as well in the 40s. But it's about kind of, I suppose, being forearmed. Um, so being forewarned is forearmed, really. And by demystifying it, um, you actually take some of the fear out of it. And as I said, women have come to us in the past and said, you know, I think I'm going mad. Um, I think I'm getting early dementia. I think I'm getting, because joint ache and pain can be part of it as well. I think I'm getting rheumatoid arthritis. And women are, if your GP isn't informed about menopause, and there's some fantastic GPs out there, but if your GP isn't informed and you go... um, you know, you'd be sent like I was off to the eye and ear, with the dry eye, the pains in the ankles, to the physio and um, for the brain scan. Here's antibiotics for the UTI. And it's very easy to explain away all those things. Oh, I'm stressed, I'm not sleeping enough, i too much on my plate, I'm getting old. And there's a reason for everything. But nobody, you, what we need is someone to join those dots for us. And I couldn't and my GP didn't. So um, that's what I'm trying to do is to kind of short circuit this for women. So to I, I would say seven years of my life, the quality of my life could have been much better, mm. and I would love to have known more then than I do than I did um, and Therefore, if I could wave a magic wand, every woman in Ireland would know about menopause and that they would know that they don't need to suffer in silence and that there is help um, available um, and As I said, you know, if your teenager turned around and you had no idea about puberty and went from this lovely, cuddly little child to a you know, um, a cheeky, <laughs> moody, slamming the doors, et cetera, rebelling. You'd be like, what's going on? So for the women, as I said, 80% um, don't know what's happening to them. And If they don't know what's happening, how can their partners possibly know or their family members or whatever? Yeah. Do you know?
0: You're, I, I'm a bit flabbergasted with all the various ways that women can be affected. So... Like panic attacks, brain fog, anxiety, insomnia, digestion, incontinence, embarrassment. You're talking about quality of like life. Then obviously that's an impact quality on quality on work. So and, and I'm sure a bit like bit like puberty, um, it it affects people in different ways. So I so I get that. And, and and then I'm I'm thinking, well. women are reluctant to speak about this like it seems something intensely personal to speak to your manager about and at the same time they might be seen as a dilemma is right we don't want to be seen as weak because i want to get promoted uh you know so i just like there's that dilemma going on isn't there
1: a hundred percent and i would liken it to a mental health scenario it's the same thing when i was working in the workplace um Uh, I was going through the worst of my menopause symptoms, primarily the hot flushes, I suppose, because they were very visible. Um, And I didn't dare tell anyone this is what was going on. Um, And there was a few reasons for that. One is, first of all, I was too embarrassed. B, they'd be too embarrassed. And people would, I felt, you know, kind of maybe ridicule. I also felt that people would say, oh, she's getting old. She's old and she's past it and really, yeah. you know, let's, let's, let's be moving around type thing. And um, plus I just didn't want to draw attention to myself. And, um, and I regret that now because I, it would have been an opportunity for a conversation, but you know, I suppose Rome wasn't built in a day and we're starting to have these conversations now, you know, um, and organizations um, are reaching out, looking for help and support in this area, which I think is fantastic. Uh, it is an awkward conversation. But I think it's a kind of a push and pull scenario. If an employer is willing to open up about this and say, we want to talk about this, we want to support you. And it's not just lip service, because that can be the issue. And at the same time, women may then feel slightly more confident to speak about it, you know. And and so that's what I mean by kind of push and pull. And it's a journey. It won't happen, you know, one day to the next. It will require training, it will require education. It will require women to have a positive experience when they do open up about it to encourage others, it will require, you know, it will require time. And um, so I think starting is, is, is the best thing we can do.
0: Are you talking about regret there? If you were to, to go back a number of years and give advice to yourself, what advice would that be to overcome those regrets?
1: Well, I think uh, two things. One of them is I would have sought help earlier for what was going on, had I known what was going on. Mm. And one of the things I was terrified of is HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, which I have to say has had a very bad rap. There was a report out in 2002 called the Women's Health Initiative and the headlines around the world were, you know, um, HRT is dangerous. So women stopped asking for HRT overnight. Doctors stopped, stopped prescribing it overnight so, of course, I had this in my head. I also had this thing of, you know, strong women power through. Now, when I was going in to have my babies into uh, the coom, I ran in and I said, when do I ask for the epidural? When do I ask for the epidural? So there was no sense of, you know, not powering through the births. <laughs> and so, yeah. So if I look back, it will be to seek, um, help, well, to be aware, to be educated, to seek help earlier. And to speak more openly about it amongst my friends, amongst my family, amongst my colleagues in work and so on. And maybe, you know, start to, um, to, to look for supports for others. So I think that's what I would do. But, you know, little knowledge is a dangerous thing and I knew nothing. So it was, um, you know.
0: This is the whole reason we're, we're talking about this now. And then there might be an argument from some people. They might say, oh, we've got a step too far here. You know, there's no place in the workplace to talk about this stuff. This crack, you know, keep it to yourselves.
1: Now, I just want to say you're absolutely right. And there is some people that can say that. And there's, there's sort of two groups. So 80% of menopausal women, so between the age of 45 and 60, 70, whatever, will experience symptoms. 80% will experience symptoms. So that's enormous. About 50% of those will experience moderate to severe symptoms. 25% will experience severe debilitating symptoms. The data in the UK says that 25% of women will consider giving up work and 10% will actually give up work, okay? So there's some stuff. I'm a big fan of statistics and data and research because, you know, let's talk about it, but let's actually size the issue. So yeah. yes, if I'm a menopausal woman and I don't have symptoms don't put me in that category, please, I'd be thinking, maybe. Um, or I may be a menopausal woman who just doesn't want to, you know, participate in this. And um, so therefore, I think that's every person's right. If they don't want support and they're not looking for support, they don't have to have support. They don't have to be labelled in that way. However, there are women who are saying that they need support. And I've um, just done some research that's live at the moment, and we doing rather live about menopause in the workplace to understand what women in Ireland feel and need. And the numbers are are, um, phenomenal. You know, 80% of women are saying that they they want a policy in their workplace around this, that they feel that um, their their work has been impacted negatively by their symptoms. So we're actually launching um, next week a programme of work and for organisations to support them through menopause in the workplace. So that can be awareness training for um, staff and, and colleagues or for management and HR, some training workshops. They can be appointment of menopause champions in the workplace, which are people who are going to look after, you know, look out for this, this cause within the work. And um, They can help, um, you know, uh, support and keep the conversation alive. They can bring in extra supports, but they can also broker those conversations that may be difficult between say, um, uh, an employee and their, and their line manager. Because um, you imagine, you know, a 51-year-old woman going up to her a 37-year-old line manager and saying, I didn't have a great night's sleep last night because, you know, and so you may not feel confident in that scenario, either side and therefore maybe having a menopause champion to broker that would be good we're also going to have some online and um, resources so they'd be um you know kind of video content that would be like um, seminars where people can do deep dives into menopause and mental health menopause and sleep menopause physiologically and menopause and diet and lifestyle and and um, exercise and um, then we'll also um, have one of on menopause and mental health if I didn't say it already. And um, so um, and then finally, I suppose the key thing is, you know, to develop a menopause in the workplace policy. That would be the kind of the ultimate, I think. Um, but it depends on the phase of your organisation. It depends on the, the, the makeup of your organisation. If you don't have a lot of women, then you won't, may not need that. If you don't have a lot of women in this age cohort, you may not need that. Um, uh, and or if, you know, maybe your, your workforce aren't demanding this, you know, but a lot of organisations are coming to us. Um, and I have to say great credit to Joe Duffy during the summer, because on his Liveline programme, he um, covered menopause for eight days in a row exclusively. And he lifted the lid on menopause. And so many women were relieved to know that was all that was wrong with them. Mm.
0: Wow. And So if I'm at that 37... 37- year old manager and I'm I'm I have a a direct report that's 51 years of age if I go to that training workshop then what would I get from that training workshop
1: well what you get is an understanding of why it's important for the workplace because as we're talking about it it's a it's a um, a health and safety issue it's a duty of care to your employee it could be a performance issue and it's obviously a talent retention and attraction issue and Coming down the tracks in the UK will be a legislative issue. And as whatever happens in the UK will happen here. And there's been a number of t- tribunals in the UK um, that have been held, and um, they have ruled in favor of the menopausal woman um, on grounds of age discrimination, sex discrimination, and um, in a couple of cases, disability. Now, personally, I wouldn't like to be called, you know, I wouldn't I like have a disability because I'm menopausal, but in that in those scenarios, I think it was chronic. Um, menopausal symptoms over many years and it was ruled in favour of disability. So, you know, organisations should be really taking the carrot rather than the stick approach and doing what's right for their employees um, rather than being kind of, you know, fearfully backed into a corner or legislation is coming down the tracks. But that is a risk. It's also a reputational risk to your employer brand. But if I to answer your question, if you're on a uh, in a workshop, uh, you learn, you know, why is menopause important? You learn you know, top line, what menopause is and why it happens and how it can affect women. And then you'll be also taught to, you know, things to look out for. And then you'll be taught how to have those conversations. There'll even be um, uh, role play involved in trying to have that kind of a difficult conversation with an employee. And it's really around, you know, understanding what reasonable adjustments that employee might need. You know, um, is it um, a cooler place to sit? Aircon or a window, or maybe an individual fan for your desk. And is it that um, you're wearing a uniform, and the uniform material is, you know, is just not conducive to hot flushes and so on, and therefore you might need different material, a different shape, um, or you might need um, more pieces. And if it's something like, um, you know, a rest area where you can go temporarily, or you might need to use the bathroom more frequently, women's. And um, periods become irregular and become very, very heavy with the thing of flooding. So I heard this woman in the Joe Duffy show and she was a bus driver and she talked about having this experience in this flooding and she had pads and oh my God, she couldn't get off the bus to change because, you know, the passengers were complaining she would no one to take over, etc. So, you know, if you're on a production line, um, you may not be able to take the breaks that you need. Whereas if you're office based, you might be able to get up and go. And I think it becomes more important as we move back into the workplace after COVID. So people who've been at home have been able to provide their own reasonable adjustments, you know, open the kitchen door, go out into the garden, uh, breath of fresh air, whatever. Or, you know, if you've slept badly for so many nights in a row, you might say, well, look, I'll start a little later tomorrow and finish later tomorrow evening. And you may need medical appointments. You may need time off for that. Um, and you may just want some support groups, people, other people with, who are experiencing the same thing. So it's really about, I suppose, individualizing it to that individual. What do they need to help them um, be their best, deliver their best for the organization? And that's sensitive um, and that um, can be a difficult conversation. But once again, if you're, if you're educated in any way, And, you know, uh, lots of people will be sniggering at menopausal women and usually there's all sorts of jokes and all this kind of thing. But the reality of it is, is that um, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, trust me, it's not that pleasant. So it's about being sensitive about how you handle it and being, I suppose, educated to handle it in the right way and make it okay for the employer, employee to feel that they may need these temporary adjustments. Uh
0: and I think you make a lot of valid points there. A lot of it is to do with uh, reputation, organizational reputation, and there's a there's a there's a war on for talent now. so there's Big the great resignation going on. So this yes. can be a a talent retention tool or talent attraction. And again, with regard to trends in from working from home in the hybrid working place, then, it is all about individualizing there. So it's really about, you know, putting that in uh, the, the 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 conversation about menopause as part of flexible or remote working or whatever the workarounds there to meet uh, individual needs. <clears throat> and, and just can I with, just
1: say one other yeah. thing, sorry, which is, you know, the important role that women play in terms of, um, you know, what Skills and their different perspectives that they bring to the party. So we're all, you know, um, uh, trying to, you know, allow women to take more senior roles in organisations, senior roles on boards, and so on, and be leadership, have be leaders and visible in the organisation. And this is a time, like a peak period for this. Do you know what I mean? Where women are, you know, their kind of seniority is culminating. And we've, organisations will have invested a lot of time um, at a training, development, money into these employees. So the last thing you want them to do is to be leaving because they just, you know, can't deliver the work to the standard they'd like. Um, and, and that would be a sad loss for an organisation, do you know? And it's, it's sort of anti what we're trying to do around gender and diversity and inclusion, to be honest.
0: That was a conversation I'm very much passionate about that I had last week with someone is all the gains that we have in the last couple of years with gender balance could be completely wiped out without, uh, you know, adding these uh, supports then. And I'm thinking about that if we lose people in that sanguine generation who are menopausal, what will happen? all that um, those those women in senior leadership positions is we lose that diversity. And then what happens to the organization? We lose innovation. We lose that different perspective. You know, it impacts- Profitability, on, oh, everything. Everything. So I think this is a really important conversation. And with that in mind, then, we talk about the policies then. Do you see it as something that, like an EAP support, I'm thinking like mental health. Ten years ago, so I worked in that area uh, a number of years ago. And companies were poorly equipped to have any conversations. And now it's kind of rolled out by insurance providers or EAP as part of their plan. Do you see it evolving in in that way, or do you see it as maybe bespoke? How how do you see policies being implemented then?
1: I think there are a number of things that you can do for the organisation. Some of the things we talked about and the sort of top tips for that. Um, And um, I think um, the EAP should ultimately be a part of that. And I think women would appreciate that, um, as would employers. Um, The biggest problem, I think, at the moment is that there's very few people skilled in the area of menopause in Ireland um, from a medical perspective, a psychological perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, you know, um, our business could be... I don't know, quadruple the size tomorrow if I could get doctors. That's my biggest barrier to growth. Doctors and nurses um, is my biggest barrier to growth. Um, and, um, but yes, and I know that the likes of the insurance providers are looking to see how they can resource up in this particular area. Organisations are looking to see how they can get um, sort of EAP support for their staff and so on. So yes, I do think um, that, um, and that can, be, that can be a challenge hundred percent. But yeah, the, the the policy, you know, you can get an off the shelf policy that our organization can provide or you can get a very bespoke one, depending on the size of your organization. And um, so, yeah, and there could be multiple layers. But at the same time, you could argue like, you know, let's look at things through the lens of menopause. You know, what do we need to do to our health and safety? What do we need to do to our OT? What do we need to do to um, our sickness policy, our absence policy? Our, do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. and you can tweak those and you don't need to have full necessary policy um, if you don't want to but i think it's about um knowing where the changes need to be made
0: so if i was a woman listening in here and i'm either going for promotion or i'm in a senior leadership position and, and i'm really reevaluating where i'm at now i was in my safety zone from working from home at the moment i got my own worker i there i was relieved about that what advice would you give to people returning to work now especially if they're going through menopause now because you you, you might have been pre-menopausal before pre-covid and now you're you're in the middle of it now and you're like oh you're panicking what do we do now what what are the resources available to to women then if they're either going for promotion or a senior leadership position because i'm thinking i'm having a panic attack about going back in and my confidence is affected and then you talk about brain fog and all the other stuff that I'm talking about. So what, is this, what advice you give to, to women there?
1: I think you know, it takes great courage to be honest to go and to talk about this. So um, you know, ideally speaking you'd be able to go to HR and say you know, um, what policies do we have um, in terms of supporting women in menopause? Maybe you speak to others who are in the same sort of age group as you and you go as a group to or to, to find out what's going on. It depends on the, the relationship you have with your line manager and so on. But um, obviously power in numbers, but I do think it's a difficult situation to broach um, and it requires a lot of confidence um, and, and courage. Um, the alternative is to muddle through, I think. You know, and I don't know if that's a good enough answer because it's it's like we're tackling this new taboo and um, it's going to be hardest for those who tackle who, who you know take the brave step you know in 10 years time this will be a much easier conversation and it's, i guess it's the question of you know how comfortable do you feel how confident do you feel can you do something to 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 get your hr department to consider this seriously your ot and are there others in the organization that so you're not um, on your own um with this matter that it affects a number of women that's, um, that's my, um, my, my approach. The other thing, actually, what I think of it is it would be good to go and say, you know, this will be something that I think would benefit the women in our organisation. Look at the makeup of our organisation. Why don't we have some menopause awareness training or menopause awareness um, seminars? We, the men, I believe men need to be involved in this as well. And um, when I was on the Gender Equality Committee for the Abbey, it was very interesting to see how, um, you know, women were pushing the, this agenda. But men who have daughters um, were very interested in the progress of gender equality, I noticed. And I think men who have wives or partners or sisters or whatever, that might also be um, kind of a, um, a leverageable hook, if you like. But it, it, it will be difficult and it will be brave and uh, it may be a risk worth taking um, or it may not. Um, so I think it's um, up to the individual to judge. I couldn't, you know, blanket say, oh, I do this because I wouldn't have done it seven years ago.
0: If I was a male manager here and I'm avoiding this uh, and I don't want to know. And I'm like, you know what, let the women handle it, you know, in the organization. What would you say to a male manager there that might be reluctant to talk about it or to explore more?
1: I actually think um, it's a skill um, I think it's a it would be a leadership quality and if you can't have difficult conversations with your staff then what type of a manager are you so I would actually think for self-development it would be within your best interests to embrace these variety of different things that are happening to your, to your staff whether it's menopause whether it's um, a fertility issue whether it's um um, you know uh, cancer maybe it's prostate cancer maybe it's a male maybe it's mental health issues maybe it's um, a miscarriage um, you know it can be um, a family crisis it can be anything and I think in order to be um, a great manager and a great leader you need to be prepared for these conversations you need to be prepared to have them and um, I think it's a test of your metal actually
0: that is a great if you avoid them, response if you
1: avoid them you know
0: yeah and, won't develop, And it is another dimension to diversity and inclusion, talent and engagement. And this is a great conversation that we're having today. So I know you are releasing your research. We have uh, World Menopause Day on October 18th. If I, Who would have if thought there's
1: a World Menopause Day, yes.
0: I know. <laughs> and, and thank you for informing me and our listeners uh, about that. So we're coming to the end of our podcast today Loretta this has been so insightful for me if I'm honest I'm a bit taken aback by all the various different things I know through a little bit of the research that I'm doing that it impacts in so many different ways um, there I was even looking at how the hormones uh, are affected we mentioned estrogen but then there's progesterone and androgens and cortisone and insulin for energy and (laughs) you know, ghrelin's for hunger and the the ones for body fat and all of these different things. And I'm like, oh my, it's a bit like this. This is why we need the training, isn't it? Because there's so much from nutrition, mental health, emotional, there's, there's coaching supports. But then, It's that specialised support really is what's missing, isn't
1: it? It is. And that's why we have a multidisciplinary team, really, to be honest, because we have people who work on the psychology. So CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, can be really good and um, women who have got um, pelvic floor issues may need help with that and um, women who have diet weight problems we've got a dietitian and nutritionist then we have the doctors we have gynecologists and GPs and we're an evidence-based clinic so um, we work on, on uh, with stuff that we know works and I guess the biggest breakthrough for me personally was that I got my information and I like to consider myself to be Um, a good decision maker. And so I got my information together. I looked at the risks and benefits and the benefits outweighed the risks for me to go on hormone replacement therapy. So I'm on three hormones. I'm on, and it's delivered through my skin, through, um, it could be gels, patches or creams. So I'm on estrogen. I'm on a progestogen, And so it's like your progesterone because I have a womb. If you don't have a womb, you don't need that. And you just need estrogen. And I'm also on testosterone, which I didn't even know women need it. Now, not every woman needs it, but I needed it. And um, my ability to function, I literally, once I'd got onto these hormones, my, I got my vava boom back, I got my, um, my focus, my energy, my vitality. People started to say to me, God, you look great, Loretta. You know, I didn't realize it was to do with the, the HRT. I thought it was to do with the new skincare cream I was using and a new place I went for my eyebrows and who knows what, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But actually, um, I would never have been able to set up this business in this clinic and be an advocate for women because um, I wouldn't have had the energy to do that or the, the motivation or anything. So I don't want it to be all doom and gloom because I feel this is the third act. And one of the other hormones that's really important is called oxytocin. And it's what women have um, flooding through their bodies that makes them very kind of, you know, uh, wanting to care for people. And that starts to decline too. So you know, my children are kiddled now, thankfully. Um, and so I'm embracing this next phase of my life because I'm going to be postmenopausal for the next, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And to be honest with you, you know, I've got a bag of experience. I've got, you know, skills. I've got some talent. And I feel I have a lot more to give to the world.
0: I am so curious. I have to ask you a question. I know I, know I keep asking you more questions. You mentioned oxytocin. Then you mentioned testosterone. And your- age now. I definitely will not do My mother warned me never to do that I got the wooden spoon for that one day I think Maybe ma'am I'm sorry for revealing that Uh, So testosterone Uh, Maybe I should edit that one out Why, Why do women need testosterone? So we talk about estrogen and and you know yeah,
1: and progesterone and well the reason is that um you know we do have testosterone in our bodies, not obviously the strength of men's, um, but some women um their um, testosterone declines as well and therefore or it doesn't convert as well in the body from other things. So therefore, um you know it can help with loss of libido, it can help with sort of energy focus, um, and that kind of um I don't know, I call it my joie de vivre, my la yeah. or whatever, you know. Okay. Now, some other women come here and they don't need it, their levels. Because, yeah. you know, once you start on it, um, you have to have your blood, your, blood, uh, your testosterone's level, levels measured after six weeks. And then twice a year after that to make sure that you're not overdosing, do you know, because it is, a, you know, a male hormone. But it's titrated down for women or there's um, some female-only versions available. But um, the thing is that um, that was one of the hormones that I badly needed, um, and uh, to be honest, had I kept going in the way of going, I would never, I would never have known about that. And I described myself as like a slow puncture. Yeah. And the energy was only going one way. And I just couldn't see an end in sight, to be honest. It was relentless. Now, and I would consider my my menopause to be average.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I'm so <laughs> fascinated by this. So there's another thing came into me, my head there. So you're talking about, I suppose, being the science generation, we're looking after our kids, we're looking after um, our parents, we have a full-time job. It seems to me that there's a lot of time out for this maintenance of your own health. So you're talking about getting your testosterone levels taken, you know, uh, and all this... this like, how how do we accommodate for that time within our weeks? Like, is there a notice on employers to allow us that time, or is that okay? You do that in your own time, you know. Well, I, I, I,
1: yeah. well, I I would say as part of your um your reasonable adjustments, it should be down to kind of each woman. And if a woman needs to go, you know, maybe she needs to have go to a gynecologist, needs a hysterectomy, needs these things can happen, you know. So would it would be the same sort of thing, you know. What reasonable adjustments do you need, like? You know, so I'm on my treatment option that's optimum for me. And therefore, all I need now to do is to go to my, um, my menopause specialist twice a year. That's all. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's all. Now, how many times was I going in my perimenopause to the doctor, to the MRI scan, to the this, to the that, to whatever? Do you know what I mean? And um, now I'm in, um, what would you say, in my maintenance mode? Um, yeah. And the reality is, is that, you know, once I'm under medical supervision, and I get checked out twice a year, you know, and unless something major changes, you know, that can be me for a
0: while. You know, it's, it's very much a focused approach because you're getting those specialist interventions and you mentioned so much about your evidence based approach, which is wonderful to hear. And the, the amount of statistics you have is truly impressive. So uh, I might congratulate you on that, Loretta. Thank you so much. And if people were to find out more about your research and the menopause clinic and uh, where menopause day on October 18th, how might they do so, Loretta?
1: So if you go to our website, which is themenopausehub.ie, you'll find out about all the services that we offer. We um, have our own conference coming up on the 16th of October, which is open to the public, the tickets are 10 euro, but the proceeds are going to um, Saoirse Refuge, Women's Refuge. So it's women women helping women. Um, And we have some amazing international speakers at that. So that's one thing. But um, you can find that. Our symptom checker is there. There's lots of different information. Uh, So themenopausehub.ie is really there. And there's also a number of other um, international websites that you can go to so there's the um, the women's health concern which is the um, consumer arm of the British Menopause Society they have a lot of health and information there as well and there's, um, uh, there's a woman she's become a great friend of mine but she's a medical doctor from the US and she has over 300 I think now videos on YouTube about menopause her name is Barbara Taylor, MD or Menopause Taylor, she has over like 300 videos about menopause and her role in life is to be an educator. So I learned a hell of a lot from her, I can tell you in my research and setting up. But um, I'm a big believer in sort of data in trying to quantify the issue and in trying to, to solve the problem if I can in, in whatever. But this is a journey. And as I said, it won't happen kind of overnight. But people like you inviting people like me onto this is absolutely fantastic. I really, really appreciate the offer and the platform. I really do.
0: Loretta, it is my pleasure to help you smash the taboo of menopause in the workplace. Thank you so much for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn William Corliss, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your externing learning and development partner. Provide executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.